Welcome everybody. This is Reverend Anna Jones, and I'm teaching today a class called uh, She Who Knew All, Mary Magdalene, She Who Knew All. Today is a special day for those like myself uh, who are mystics who follow the mystical uh, aspects of uh, Christian tradition, and um, uh, it is a day of uh, celebration worldwide uh, in both the Catholic as well as the Orthodox, um, the Lutheran, and I believe at least a couple other traditions for Mary Magdalene, known as a feast day of Mary Magdalene, which is the reason why I've chosen to do this class today um, on this day. I am an interfaith minister, however, and um, I work with uh, all faiths and traditions, all religions, and work with people of all faiths and religions. Um, and my personal spiritual path is uh, very holistic uh, in nature. And I, um, in addition to being an interfaith minister, I have uh, many parts of my ministry work that um, people know me by. Uh, people know me by the work that I do in holistic healing um, because I've been working with spiritual healing, holistic healing, energy healing for um, many, many years, over 30-something years uh, since the age of 14. And um, people know me also with my work that I do as an intuitive, as a professional intuitive. Um, because really, first and foremost, I see myself as a modern mystic. And um, as a modern mystic, I have had um, spiritual dreams, um, visions, um, prophetic messages, uh, deep, profound messages that I receive not only for myself but for other people and that I've asked to be uh, the, the courier for other people. In fact, a whole aspect of my ministry, in addition to my healing ministry, is an aspect that I'm um, uh, known, especially through my online activities, through the Archangel Michael and Legion of Light Facebook page, uh, for my angel ministry, the whole ministry that I do with the angels. Um, and again, I see them as universal beings of light. They don't belong to any one religion or any one tradition. Um, and same thing with the, 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 the saints. I believe that um, when it comes to the saints of all traditions, whether uh, you're dealing with one religion or not, that they are saintly people in all of them. And the saints belong to us all. They are here for all of us. Um, and it is a personal relationship uh, that is first and foremost important to me, people's personal relationship with the divine and helping people move and grow um, in their personal relationship with the divine. And so that's what's actually um, led me to um, connect more fully with Mary Magdalene because uh, I have come across in my personal journey um, just a need to connect more uh, with the divine through the, the feminine, um, the female teachers, the female leaders, the female um, you know, avatars, and the female, uh, just the, the, those who uh, exemplify the archetype and the principle and the power and the presence of uh, the divine feminine um, has been extremely important to me on my personal path and my personal journey and then many many people that um, I've worked with over the years um, have been drawn uh, also to the same and Mary Magdalene is a part of all of that um, today uh, Philip and I uh, Philip will be joining me whenever he can join the call I'll just 
just uh, I think it's going to be a while, though. Um, he, so we, we talked about what, what we wanted to really focus on today because we've already done uh, two classes on Mary Magdalene recently, and um, those classes are actually uh, available um, on our website, on our mysticalfrance.com website. Those classes, uh, we've discussed um, m- many different things, many different aspects of Mary Magdalene, who she was, uh, because this is a, a, a very interesting thing for a lot of people these days as people are waking up and they're wanting to deepen their personal relationship with the divine. Somehow Mary Magdalene is coming more and more to the forefront. I, I personally believe through some of the mystical experiences that I've had that she is um, one of the many uh, saints and, and, and many great leaders and teachers that um, uh, is, is, is to help us right now uh, kind of usher in this important time where the return of the sacred feminine is happening. In fact, one whole uh, class that we've offered recently was on Mary Magdalene and the return of the sacred feminine. So if that's of interest to you, you might want to uh, take some time and listen more to that class. Because uh, I promised uh, those who've been following a series of classes on this subject that I've been doing that we would make each one of them a little bit different. Um, and I've made uh, a decision to really focus this one um, on uh, who Mary Magdalene was on the more mystical side because there's a lot of information um, and misinformation that's uh, been spread out there about her uh, and just kind of a lot of logistical types of things that we could uh, get into. And again, in some of those other classes that Philip and I have led, uh, we do get into those things. And I'll share a little bit uh, here in the beginning um, before I get uh, deeper into some of the mystical um, aspects here. Uh, But I really did want to focus on um, the mystical and Mary Magdalene as a mystic. Um, And that is another reason why I like the title so much of She Who Knew All. Um, There's several reasons why I like that title. Um, There have been many titles associated with Mary Magdalene. Um, and of them, this one and a few others have really stood out to me uh, because there's there are a lot of different uh, stories and versions and variations of the stories, and there are a lot of people in our in our modern day world who think they know who she is. And all, all of us, all every time I take a closer look, and I've been looking uh, very closely at this pretty in depth now. Uh, we led our first um, mystical France retreat into southern France, a, a magnificent Magdalena uh, quest and Grail quest, um, and we started uh, looking very deeply in it before that, uh, and ever since that, uh, we've been even going deeper with it. And my indication is that um, her story is not fully told. And uh, Margaret Starbird is one of my favorite authors. Uh, I, I enjoy many of her books and many of her writings. And A Woman with the Alabaster Jar is one of her more famous and well-known ones. Um, that title is one of Mary Magdalene's titles, by the way. Uh, there's several titles that uh, she was known by. A uh, Woman with the Alabaster Jar is one of her one of her many titles. But I also, um, from Margaret Starbird's writing, came across this title of She Who Knew All. And not only did she know all because she was um, privy to a lot of the inside of the 
day in and day out uh, lives of, of, of what was happening during the time of Yeshua um, and during the time that Yeshua was teaching and being a part of just a daily part of, of, of all of that. Um, but also she knew all um, because she uh, also ha- was a mystic. And again, I want to I wanna talk about that uh, and focus a little bit more on that today. So, But before I do, before I go more deeply into that, let's look at what some of her other titles were. Um, of course, the one that most people... Um, and it's still to this day, although this is changing rapidly, uh, Margaret Starbird said that uh, Mary Magdalene's story was the greatest story never told, whereas Yeshua's story is the greatest story ever told. Um, Margaret Starbird says that Mary Magdalene's story is the greatest story never told. And I would agree with that. Um, I, I, I believe that her story uh, is still unfolding, however, and that that's one of the many reasons why. Um, there's many reasons why her story story has not been fully told, and there's still a lot of uh, mystery around it. Um, but one of the reasons why I firmly believe that even that mystery uh, still exists to this day um, is for uh, the, the, the purpose that her story is still being written, her story is still being told. So one of the most famous titles from her story that people do know of that she carried for over 1,300 years and people still talk about her with, with this way is the title of a sinful woman or the title of the prostitute. Um, and that uh, information uh, was simply just a um, connection that was made due to um, the positioning of uh, scriptural passages and um, Pope Gregory the Great uh, who uh, did something not so great, uh, connected um, Mary Magdalene with the scriptural passage of the sinful woman. And 1,300 years have gone by, and this idea, um, this, um, this belief and thought, uh, it's really a, a perception, uh, stuck. And uh, it has uh, still, to, to this day, um, sticking with people and hasn't fully been corrected. And I do believe in the telling of her story that this is one very important thing for all of us um, to correct. Um, the, the record was corrected. Uh, the, the Pope Gregory from the Catholic Church uh, was the one that uh, came up with the whole thing of Mary being the, the prostitute in the scriptures and Mary Magdalene being that. Um, and about 1,300 years later in the 1960s, uh, the Pope at that time reversed um, the position and actually launched a um, a formal uh, decree uh, otherwise um, that she was not uh, the prostitute and um, that instead uh, she was given not only the title of saint because ti- saint is one of her titles and it's always been one of her titles. Um, she uh, was one of the very first, you know, amongst the very first saints of the Christian tradition. Um, and, uh, but, she, but she was also then giving the, given the title of apostle to the apostles at the time in which the record was formally corrected. However, it wasn't formally corrected in any type of 
um, boisterous way, let's put it that way. Uh, it was uh, just kind of like, you know, put out there, and then again, uh, there's been still continuing uh, the propagation of uh, the untruths that have been told about her and the continuing of this title associated with her that still gets taught. Um, in fact, when I was uh, growing up, I made this point recently uh, in, in a class that I was teaching recently, that when I was growing up, I was, uh, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church, and um, I was taught uh, that, that, that this was, her, this was main, mostly who she was. She was the sinful woman and the prostitute. And um, this was after the correction was made, you know, so it was interesting to me, uh, I was commenting with to Philip recently, that um, even after the church formally corrected it, uh, it, it, which is in the late 1960s, I was being raised and going to Catholic school even in the 1970s, and that's what was still being taught and told to me. So it's like... Um, um, correcting it without correcting it type of thing, uh, correcting it and yet still continuing to propagate it. So I think that that's an important um, title that she's carried that it's time for us to move on from and learn more about uh, her other titles, which these other titles tell us more about her roles, right? So um, the title that we carry, for example, I, I, title, I, I carry the title Reverend, I carry the title um, healer, I carry the title of teacher. These titles, um, they help you understand things about the role that I play and also about the gifts that I have, right? So another title associated with her, before I go more deeply into the title of She Who Knew All and the title of Mystic, um, is the title of the Magdalene. Um, actually, uh, so there's debate uh, over where that originates from, um, and uh, it, it was thought that she was uh, from the town of Migdal. However, in Margaret Starbird's writings and research, and she's a, a very powerful researcher, uh, she makes some very interesting points about how she might not be at all from Migdal, and um, that might not be at all the reason why um, she was given the title. Uh, she was known as Mary Magdalene, that um, it, it was actually a title. She was known as the Magdalene. Um, and the Magdalene would be a title meaning the tower, the tower, uh, standing for representing strength, great strength, and also representing being an elevated one. So um, the Magdalene uh, is a title that um, Mary Magdalene carries, and she's sometimes just referred to as the Magdalene, um, and uh, she that represents the tower, uh, strength, and um, elevation of being being of someone who is of high elevation. Someone who is of high elevation. Um, so, what are some of the other titles associated with her? She who is mentioned first is one of the titles. So, the title is she who is mentioned first, um, and uh, you'll see that it's because she's mentioned more than any other woman in um, Christian scriptures, actually, and uh, written about and discussed and met, written um, and mentioned more in the um, canonical Gospels as well as the, um, the non-canonical Gospels, which are um, sometimes no, 
known as the, the Gnostic Gospels. Uh, I call them the Lost Gospels. Uh, I see them as so much more than just you know, Gnostic texts. So she was mentioned first um, because she's mentioned um, so many times and so much more than any other woman um, in, in, in the New Testament. Um, and then she's also referred to um, amongst the uh, people who have been her followers um, as Our Lady, um, and not just, this is, not, this is a reference to um, Mother Mary as well, and so that's where some of the confusion uh, can come in sometimes, and, and there can be a lot of confusion, even in artwork and things like that, as to whether a picture is Mother Mary or Mary Magdalene, um, and a lot of times the um, Renaissance uh, artists especially uh, would paint Mary Magdalene, um, but would paint her, so to speak, in the guise of painting a painting of Mother Mary, um, and a lot of times the coloring is what uh, gives it away. Uh, the, the, the color red is a, red associ- is, a, is a color associated with Mary Magdalene, and having red hair uh, is historically associated with Mary Magdalene as well. So a lot of times if you see a painting, um, especially uh, one of the older paintings that are out there, um, if you see the color red, if you see the red hair, then those are indications that um, that that particular painting of Our Lady uh, may be not Mother Mary, but maybe Mary Magdalene, and that she also carried that title. Um, she t- carried it in the same different way than Mother Mary um, carried that title, but um, she carried that title, and it's still a title that to this day um, in, in certain parts of the world she's known by, and that is Our Lady, um, and in certain parts of the world also known as the Black Madonna, Um, not because necessarily she had black skin or that she was black, although uh, the Mediterranean um, skin color is definitely not a you know white skin color. Um, it, it, it's not so much it has it doesn't so much have to do with the skin color even though it's depicted that way, as much as the black Madonna is symbolic of the mystery. Uh, the coloring of the black Madonna um, is symbolic of uh, a great mystery. Um, and of course, the black Madonna is also associated with Mother Mary as well. And so there's some confusion as to does the black Madonna represent Mother Mary? Or does it represent Mary? Magdalene, and um, there are some that believe one way and some believe that believe the other way. Personally, I think some represent uh, Mary Magdalene and some represent uh, the, some represent uh, the Virgin Mary, the Mother Mary. Um, and so it's just again, there's certain ways I think of being able to um, look at those Madonnas and uh, meditate with them and, 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 and figure out more about um, the, the 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 Mary that they truly are representing. Um, and then there's that title um, that I referred to earlier that the church actually corrected uh, and uh, corrected the, the lie um, uh, and, and said, uh, no, she's not a prostitute at all. Uh, instead, she's, you know, of course, she's a saint, uh, but she's also, we're going to call her the apostle to the apostles uh, or the apostle of the apostles. The apostle to the apostles or the apostle of the apostles is that another title. And um, this ties in 
directly to the title of She Who Knew All, actually, um, because I was like, hmm, well, that's really interesting because what, 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 what are they um, basing that on? You know, what, what are they um, basing the giving her that title, the Apostle to the Apostles, on? And when I found that out, I found out that it's because uh, she was the first one to witness the resurrection and she went back and told the um, other disciples about the resurrection and what she had experienced, what she had experienced of seeing Yeshua, and what she had experienced, and that story is in the canonical gospels, but not in the depth and detail that it is in some of the other lost gospels that have been found and rediscovered, um, and. The, the role of telling the apostles uh, gave her a very specific, unique role of leadership and being the first one to uh, witness the resurrection of Yeshua gave her a very specific, unique role of, of, of leadership um, that, uh, that, that, that is one of the reasons behind that title being given to her, Apostle to the Apostles. Um, but then, yes, that segues me into She Who Knew All because... Um, Coming back full circle, uh, when you look at the um, canonical Gospels, and this, this is the one that are in the official um, New Testament, you know, the, the one that is uh, the, 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 the New Testament that the, the church says this is a, uh, a bona fide you know, version of the, of, of, of the New Testament, and these are the bona fide Gospels. Well, there are many, many other texts. I mean, not only were those um, particular Gospels that are in the canonical uh, scriptures not only were they chosen in the Council of Nicaea very carefully by a group of men, um, but then they also were chosen um, because they had a certain uh, doctrine that uh, the, that those men and that um, you know Constantine, who was the emperor at the time, and uh, trying to form uh, you know a, a religion underneath the Roman rule, um, that they were able to you know fit everything into that doctrine. Uh, and a lot of other texts and gospels that were in use at the time, and there were a lot um, by Christians every. Where actually there were uh, just widespread use of other texts and gospels, uh, either got destroyed or got hidden and lost, and um, then there have been some that have reemerged and reappeared. Uh, in the 1800s, uh, there was a gospel that was found that is known as the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and um, it does date back. Uh, when they carbon dated it, uh, it dates back into the first century. And um, it is considered to be, um, you know, very uh, controversial. Uh, however, a lot of the scholars that have looked at it said that they can't discredit it. Um, they don't. They can't, of course, prove that Mary Magdalene was the author of it. Um, but it, it, it at least tells uh, a very different story. The sad part about that, however, is that um, it, the the one that was found in the eight. 1800s, that particular copy of it um, or translation of it was um, 
very um what's the word it wasn't it was just old it was worn it was um broken down you know the the, the weather and just the the years and the age and you know the things that had happened to it uh causing a lot of parts of it uh to be missing actually uh but some of the parts that were there were, were are very uh eye opening and revealing and um tell some very interesting things to us that i think can uh, help to open our eyes um, to uh, other, uh, perhaps, parts of Mary Magdalene's life and Mary Magdalene's experience. I wanted to read quickly, uh, if I can pull it up here real fast, a quote that um, I always like to use, uh, and, and that quote is, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. And that's a quote, uh, it's a very short little quote, um, and it's what Yeshua was, was telling Mary Magdalene, and it's from the Gospel Mary Magdalene, uh, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. Um, and why I like this quote is be- several reasons, um, because really this has a lot to do with the path of the mystic. Um, the path of the mystic is about not just uh, taking what someone else says um, is this is the only way of looking at something, this is the only way of viewing something, this is the only way of thinking about something, and this is the way you should think too. Okay, and there, that's more like being a follower, being a, going along the path of a follower. Um, the path of a mystic is really about this, um, that what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. It's about having a personal relationship with the divine. She had a personal, in this passage from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, she had a personal relationship with Yeshua, and Yeshua was telling her directly, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. And um, that is also speaking to us as well. Um, whenever we follow um, the path of the mystic, uh, we engage in a personal relationship with the divine in order to know that truth for ourselves, in order to have that love and that light and that wisdom and whatever the truth is revealed directly to us. And this is the relationship that she had with Yeshua, and it is a relationship that we can have with Yeshua and that we can have with all of the saints and all of the, you know, the, the, the angels and the guides and guardians who are there to assist us as well, um, that we can have relationship with them. And, and this relationship with the divine, which ultimately these saints and angels and higher beings are to help us with anyway, they're, they're there to be interested for us to help us in our relationship with the divine um, growing that personal relationship um, is at the very uh, core of um, being a mystic and was definitely at the core of Mary Magdalene's experiences um, having a deep personal relationship with Yeshua and you through Yeshua going deeper and deeper into her personal relationship um, with the divine um, in every way, the, 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 the Father and the Holy Spirit um, with Abba or what Yeshua would have uh, referred to or called Abun uh, in uh, Aramaic uh, in the Lord's Prayer. The name for uh, God in the Lord's Prayer that's used is Abun um, and Abun de Bashmaya. Um, and it's, it was translated uh, as masculine 
Latin only, but when you look at the literal Aramaic, uh, the, the, the more accurate Aramaic translation would be masculine and feminine. In fact, some people translate it directly as more feminine than masculine, but um, it, it definitely has both qualities, the, the name Abun. Um, so she would, through her personal relationship with Yeshua, uh, be growing deeper in her personal relationship with Abun um, and that personal relationship with the divine. Uh, and that, it, that through, um, through deep connection uh, and deep communion and union, um, more would be revealed uh, to her uh, was basically the, the, the promise that was given. And um, that's in um, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene from that version that was found in the 1800s. Then later on in the 1940s, there was uh, a whole other group of texts that were found all together. Um, they're called the Nag Hammadi texts because it was in Nag Hammadi that they were found. Um, and amongst them uh, is several um, uh, famous, uh, now famous, uh, Gospels, such as the Gospel of Philip. In the Gospel of Philip, from the Nag Hammadi texts, uh, which is, again, one of these lost Gospels, um, the Gospel of Philip, Philip refers to Mary Magdalene as Yeshua's companion um, and beloved companion um, and uh, that he would kiss her on the, and then the text drops off <laughs> mysteriously uh, and uh, it, it, it doesn't say exactly what, but everything else that you're uh, reading kind of leads you to think and believe that, uh, that, that it might be referring to kiss her on the mouth. However, it, that's a inference, and I, I admit to that. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting that these other Gospels paint a very different picture. Um, they paint her uh, much more prominently. Uh, they paint her as a very, very deep uh, spiritual person, like I said, mystic or mystically inclined uh, in her experiences, very devoted, of course, um, and sometimes in such a deep relationship, uh, they actually paint her as being in a uh, sacred union type of relationship uh, with Yeshua. And of course, this is one of the controversial things uh, that is out there these days regarding Mary Magdalene. Um, and all the things that are known about her, um, there are stories, uh, many stories, uh, especially all throughout the regions of southern France and in, in, in beyond France at this point, but definitely all throughout the regions of southern France, of Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdalene's journey there and Mary Magdalene being um, uh, the beloved of Yeshua and that Mary Magdalene journeyed um, throughout southern France basically uh, being a preacher and a teacher of the way of love uh, and of course uh, some of those versions of those stories uh, go even as far as saying, uh, saying that, that, that she is the Sangreal that she is the, the, the Holy Grail that not only could she have potentially brought with her a Holy Grail like a sacred book uh, perhaps even uh, the Gospel of Yeshua uh, 
uh, or a uh, the, the the chalice that most people think of when they think of the Holy Grail, but that she uh, when she journeyed to southern France after she was exiled, um, that uh, that that she may herself have been the Holy Grail or been carrying the Holy Grail through a uh, sacred bloodline uh, that was with her, um, and that that bloodline would have been uh, through the one that was with her on the boat. Um, the, the, the girl named Sarah that was with her on the boat is one of the stories about who Sarah was and, and who Mary Magdalene and Sarah was and what their connection was. So there's lots of different stories that are out there um, and lots of different versions of the stories, and I personally believe that there's a reason why there's so many different versions of the stories, and um, I think partially it has to do with protecting the truth, and another part of it has to do with um, hiding the truth. <laughs> uh, so um, there's, I think, throughout history been deliberate attempts at uh, hiding and obscuring the truth about Mary Magdalene, and there has been um, also deliberate attempts to protect the truth about Mary Magdalene. Um, during times in which um, the mystery uh, enabled for things to continue. Um, there's a, um, a story that we're going to tell uh, much more in depth in our next class. Uh, in uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be sharing another class about um, a group of people who connect their lineage to the teachings of Mary Magdalene, and that group of people is called the Cathars. We're also going to talk about the Knights Templar in the next class as well. Well, um, and there's uh, you know a great story uh, that we're going to tell in the next class about um, you know this how dangerous it became to be connected with any of these thoughts, ideas, beliefs that were. Um, other than the traditional, you know, other than what was deemed, um, you know, non-heretical uh, at the time, and um, just how uh, life-threatening uh, it truly was, and you'll you'll learn more about that if you listen to our next class. Uh, so. You know, there's reasons why, uh, which is ultimately the point that I want to make, why there's so much mystery around um, the story of Mary Magdalene. Well, did she go here or did she go there? Well, was she this or was she that? Um, you know, again, there's been a t deliberate attempts to cover that up and hide it, the truth, and there's also been protective attempts um, to create um, basically uh, differing stories just to even be able to protect the truth as well. And so that's why I also like this thing about this, this quote that I read to you about um, what is hidden from you, I will reveal to you. Um, I believe that uh, it, we can realize the truth and, and learn her story through more of a direct mystical approach um, and through staying open. In fact, um, I've been, in back in 2012, uh, led a Southern France um, Girl Quest pilgrimage uh, to places associated with the Cathars, associated with Mary Magdalene and uh, sacred sites uh, where Mary Magdalene was believed to have walked and taught and um, you know, spread the way of love. 
and um, I'm going again uh, this year in September of 2014, uh, and that's one of the reasons for part two of the class that will uh, follow this part one of this class uh, today. Um, but in all that I've been doing and preparing for those pilgrimages, as well as uh, speaking that I've been doing to the teleconferences, a whole you know eight-week Magdalene Circle that I um, led last year, uh, the Magdalene Circle Facebook page that I lead online. Um, and through all that I've been doing, I, I continue to ask for guidance about this because I want it, I, I want the truth to be more revealed and directly to me because that's who I am as a modern mystic. I want to approach the divine and the representatives of the divine and uh, the, the the intercessors of the divine and ask for the truth to be um, you know directly more revealed to me and to my heart about it. And so far, the message that I've been getting over and over and over um, about this is that she knew all and that she's the only one who knew all. Um, she's the only one who knew all of the story and still does um, because she's not, um, not she, she's a living saint, let's put it that way. Uh, she's a, a, a living, powerful presence uh, in our lives, in spirit, working with us. There's no doubt in my mind that she is still playing a role to this day, that her story is still playing itself out. Um, in fact, I received a profound message recently saying her story can't be fully told yet because her story is not even fully written yet. It's not even finished yet. Um, the, the the whole thing that is happening with the, the, the truth coming out and light, more light being shine, shined on all of these different things. And so the guidance that I receive is to to shine a light on it all, you know, and to just to stay, keep my mind and my heart open to all of the possibilities of all that she was and all that she could be and all that she could have been um, and not uh, to put her in a box. Um, this guidance I've received now over and over again, um, even though there's, a, a, I believe, very strong human uh, desire and a strong human part of our nature uh, that we all have and that I have definitely to try to you know um, categorize something or someone and uh, put it put put that you know person neatly into that category so you can say well I know what that is and it's kind of like filing it away in one of our boxes we have all kinds of little boxes that we have people and you know people in our lives as well as people in the world and you know we have them filed away in our little you know our little filing boxes in our in our minds our ego likes to do this, you know, that we think we know what they are and what they're about or who they are and what they're about and we think we know the whole story and, and you know, just kind of like leave it at that and, and, and you know, put it in that file, of, put it in that box. She's been put into a box, many, many boxes for a very long time and again, the, the, the mystical guidance that I receive, uh, which is the approach that I take in teaching about her and leading the pilgrimages as well as the approach that I take in, in, in my own personal uh, relating with her and um, having her, you know, be a, a teacher and a, and a spiritual uh, guide for me in my life um, is this approach of being open for her to reveal, um, being open for the divine directly to reveal more to me and for her to reveal more directly to me um, and not let that um, condense her in any way, minimize her in any way, 
or put her in a box in any way. Uh, she's been in a box for a very long time, and it's time we all take her out of that box and not just put her in a bigger one um, because there are lots of people, uh, for example, that I work with in the esoteric um, communities and in the metaphysical uh, communities, and um, there are a lot of people in those communities that have taken her out of the some of the boxes that some of these older titles uh, have put her in, especially the the old box of you know the the title prostitute and those things put her in. But um, then they've put her into a bigger box, you know, and, and it's definitely a bigger box, and it's definitely a, a brighter and maybe sparklier box. But um, you, you know, I think if we collapse the potential by saying you know, I know, you know, I know, I know who she was and I know what she's all about and I know what she did and I know what she, you know, if we collapse the potential of that and get into, that's the ego immediately putting her into a box, okay? Um, and it to me, we lose the humility that is necessary for that revealing to happen directly to us. Um, what, what we teach about the grail in one of our classes in this series has also been about Mary Magdalene connection to the grail so you can go on to our um, mysticalfrance.com teleconference page and listen to the recording of that if that intrigues you um, her, what, we, what we've taught about the grail is is that the grail will reveal itself to those who are ready um, you know the grail chooses who it will reveal itself to um, and so when you take this quote from Mary Magdalene's gospel and you take that piece of information about the grail and you put them together, uh, it's even more uh, emphasis for me that my uh, intuitive guidance on this is, 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 is being backed up even by, um, by some pretty powerful uh, you know, truths that are, that are being shown here that, that um, you know, we, we lose that humility you know, when we start to put her in a box and say, I know who she is and I know what she was and I know what she did and I, I know things about her that no one knows. You know, she's the only one who knows. <laughs> she knows all. She knew all. She knew all then, and she knows all now um, and about her, uh, about her. Uh, you know, of course, Yeshua as well, but um, she, she knows all. And, um, again, the grail reveals itself to those who are in that humble state, who are ready recipients um, for that uh, truth to be revealed and to me that has to do with a very high vibration of love um, and light that we hold in our open heart and an open mind um, and staying in that high vibration of love and light uh, with that open heart and that open mind allowing ourselves to explore different things explore and, and that, this is what I encourage and this is what I do with my circles and with my page and you know with the pilgrimages is well let's just explore all of you know all of what she could be you know let, let's let's explore that and have it be revealed more directly to us and through us and in our hearts and in our in our open minds 
And even then, don't, don't hold that rigidly, right, because there may even be even more to it. So we do explore, actually. We, we explore um, in, in, not only in my personal life, but in, in our pilgrimages and um, in, uh, again, my, my, my Facebook page, my Magdalene Circle Facebook page, and uh, I explore all the connections between her and the sacred feminine and the divine feminine and the great goddess, you know, thing, things along those connections. Just, just explore it, you know, just, just uh, let, let, let that um, be, be open and uh, be open to all of the possibilities and the full possibility and potential of all of who she was and who she could be and all the things that are out there, you know, because um, while I believe that we, um, there are some things that are out there to throw us directly off track, I believe that there's a lot out there that's hidden right there in plain sight, you know, that's actually hidden, but it's also hidden uh, in plain sight uh, for us to have more revealed uh, to us and through us. And that leads me to um, sharing with all of you today um, as one of the main things that I wanted to share, and I've yet to share this in any of my teleconferences ever. Uh, The only place that I've ever shared it has been um, when I'm traveling around on tours or when I'm leading some of my Magdalene circles in person. Um, I've shared uh, this this particular thing uh, and when I when I do some in person work um, when I do what is called the Magdalene Vision Journey. Um, so if we keep ourselves open uh, to exploring all that there is out there about her and that through her life she can, we can learn so much more about Yeshua and we can have a, so, so much more of a, a deeper relationship with Yeshua as well as a deeper relationship with the divine in every way through the things that um, her life and her journey and her story uh, is meant to ultimately help us with. Um, well, there's something that I came across in my staying open to everything that is out there in my studies of the Magdalene um, of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene Uh, and what I came across is something that is called the Gospel of the Beloved Companion and um, this subtitle for it is the complete gospel of Mary Magdalene so the the title of this and I'm actually going to read from it which is another reason why I want to repeat the title the title is called the gospel of the beloved companion the complete gospel of Mary Magdalene and it's translation and commentary um, by a woman who goes by the pen name of Jeanne de Kion and Kion is a small town in the Languedoc region of southern France um, very near actually where we stay I think it's like five miles from where we stay when we go on our pilgrimages um, and uh, this this translation um, um, again, talking about things that are out there that can help us, you know, just learn more and stay open to receiving more, just exploring all the possibilities of, of, of who she was and who she might have been and what her story may be. Um, this translation, it, 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 it was uh, kept um, in, in the family of this, um, this person who does the translation uh, for centuries. Um, so we, the person who does the translation does not, it is the pen name, uh, does not reveal a formal name, so I'll just let everybody know that. Um, and uh, however, 
um, that doesn't mean that this person um, is like just staying hiding and staying in the shadows because when I first did some research about this gospel, I actually saw that um, this person had actually been to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. and done a presentation there. And so I was like, okay, not just anybody goes to you know, the National Cathedral, not just anybody is even invited to do presentations at the National Cathedral. So um, I, I don't know all the details about the presentation that she gave, but I do know that um, you know, this person, even though the, the pen name is used and there's this other name that's used, um, was uh, actually uh, at some point at the National Cathedral doing a presentation on this. Um, so this Gospel of the Beloved Companion um, is an unabridged version protected by her family in the Languedoc region of southern France, passed down for generations, kept in hiding um, for a very long time um, for the sake of keeping it safe, basically. And uh, again, when we get into our next uh, class about the Cathars and the Knights Templar um, in the series here, there'll be more information about that you would help, that you will able, be able to understand why it had to be maybe perhaps kept in writing, um, kept in hiding for so long. So there's a passageway in here. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's missing uh, is very similar to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene that was found in the 1800s. It has several similarities to it. Um, it's definitely written in uh, the, the tone and the voice uh, that is very feminine, uh, very different um, than the tone and the voice of the, the, the Gospels that have been written and known to be written by men. Um, and it has... Uh, some very different details. Uh, the, so there's some of the stories that are scriptural stories that are very much the same, uh, and you'll find them very familiar and very recognizable. Uh, and then there's some differences and variations of the stories that are in here as well. Um, and then when you get to the, the section, which is what I'm going to read to everybody, and this is where I'm going to ultimately um, uh, clo close to for the first part. Once I finish reading this, I want to kind of segue out of the first part and into the second part of the class today. Um, but this particular section is uh, her story um, written, Mary Magdalene's story uh, written in uh, from the from the time of the resurrection, like what what happened uh, the time of the resurrection. Again, according to this book, the Gospel of the Beloved Companion, and that it's not in no way does this woman say. She she wrote it. She doesn't say she wrote this book at all. Um, she says she, she actually attributes Mary Magdalene to writing this book, uh, not through channel. It's not uh, a metaphysical. It's not a new age. It's not any of that. It's not channeled writings or works. Um, it, according to the, the translator and the commentator who translated this into English and made this available because now it's available on Amazon, right? Like hidden in plain sight. Um, you know, now it's available. I, I ordered it as Kindle version first, and then I ordered in hard copy. Um, so the, 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 the translator and commentator um, says that it is an actual gospel of Mary Magdalene passed on through the centuries, uh, protected and preserved, cared for by her family, and that's still being protected and preserved, the originals, um, by her family, and that they're not anytime soon planning on handing uh, it over <laughs> in any way for, um, for fear of still what might uh, happen to the original text if something like that were to be um, handed over, and of course, handed over to who? It would be the other bigger question, right? So, um, what I want to do now is I want to read from it. 
because I thought, what better way of making the point of Mary Magdalene as a mystic and making a point that she knew things that the others did not. And this is another reason why she's called She Who Knew All, um, because she knew teachings um, that the others did not. And it was a source of controversy from what I have read uh, from these um, alternative gospels, these lost gospels. Uh, it was a source of controversy between her and a few of the other disciples, especially between her and Peter, uh, her knowing things that the others uh, did not know. So here I'm going to read. This is from the Gospel of the Beloved Companion, um, and I am picking up on page uh, 74. The text begins with, um, uh, it is beginning at 40, um, uh, yeah, text beginning at 40. So then Miriam, the Magdala, and Miriam, the mother of Joseph and Salome, took the body of Yeshua and prepared it and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as the burial custom required. In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a new tomb in which no man had ever been yet laid. Then, because of the preparation day for the tomb was near at hand, they laid Yeshua there. Now, on the first day of the week, Miriam, the Migdala, which is Magdalene, went early, while it was still dark, to the tomb, and saw the stone taken away from the entrance. Stooping and looking in, she saw that the tomb was empty, and the linen cloth scattered where the body, where the body had been laid. Yet she did not enter in but remained standing outside of the tomb, weeping and hearing a noise. She turned around and saw a figure standing close by. Because of her weeping, she did not know that it was Yeshua. Then Yeshua said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you or another have carried him away, tell me where he is laid, and I will go and take him away. Yeshua said to her, Miriam, she turned and was overcome with joy, said to him, Rabboni. Yeshua said to her, Miriam, do not hold to me, for I am not of the flesh, yet neither am I one with the Spirit, but rather go to my disciples and tell them you have seen me, so that all may know that my words are true and that any who should choose to believe them and keep to my commandments will follow me on their last day. And the Migdala therefore returned onto her own, and there in that place were gathered Martha, her sister, Lazarus, her brother, whom Yeshua had restored to life, and Miriam, the mother of Joseph and Salome. With them also was Toma, who was called the twin, and Joseph of Arimathea, who had been Pilate, who had asked Pilate for the body of Yeshua, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Yeshua by night, and who had brought spices for his burial. Also there were the disciples Levi, whom some had called Matthew, and Joanna, and the other Salome, to whom Yeshua had spoken at the well of Yaakov. The amygdala told the disciples that she the amygdala told the disciples that she had seen Yeshua and that he had said these things to her, and they knew the truth of her and were all filled with great joy and believed. Then they sent messengers to tell the other disciples that the amygdala, what the amygdala had witnessed. But it was many days before they returned to Bethany, as being in fear of the priests and Pharisees, all had fled the city, each back to his own. 
In this way, they did not fulfill. In this way, they had fulfilled the prophecy that Yeshua had spoken when he said to them, "Do you now believe? Behold, the time is coming. Yes, and it is now that you will be scattered, everyone onto his own, and you will leave me all alone." At the end of the week, when all the disciples had gathered at the house of Bethany, the Magdala came to them and told them what she had seen and what Yeshua had said. But they were grieved and wept greatly, saying, How shall we go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom of the Son of Humanity? If they did not spare him, how will they spare us? Then the Magdala stood up, greeted them all, and raising her hand, said to her brethren, Only from the truth I tell you, do not weep and do not grieve, or be resolute, for his grace and that of the one who has sent him will be in entirely with you and will protect you, but rather let us praise his greatness, for he has prepared us and made us true. Then the Magdala said, turned to her hearts to the good, and they began to discuss the words of Yeshua. Simon Kepha said to the Magdala's sister, we know that he loved you more than any other among women. Tell us the words of the rabbi which you remember, which you know and understood, but do not, nor have, but we do not, nor have we heard them. The Magdala answered and said, What is hidden from you I will proclaim to you. And she began to speak to them the words that Yeshua had given to her. My master spoke this to me. She, she, he said, Miriam, blessed are you who came into being before coming into being, and whose eyes are set upon the kingdom, who are from the beginning, has understood and followed my teachings. Only from the truth I tell you, there is a great tree within you that does not change, summer or winter, and its leaves do not fall. Whosoever listens to my words and ascends to its crown will not taste death, but know the truth of eternal life. Then he showed me a vision in which I saw a great tree that seemed to reach unto the heavens. And as I saw these things, he said, The roots of this tree are in the earth, which is your body. The trunk extends upwards through the five regions of humanity to the crown, which is the kingdom of the spirit. There are eight great boughs upon this tree, and each bough bears its own fruit, which you must eat in all its fullness. As the truth of the tree in the garden caused Adam and Eve to fall into darkness, so this fruit will grant to you the light of the spirit that is eternal life. Between each bough is a gate and a guardian who challenges the unworthy to try to pass. The leaves at the bottom of the tree are thick and plentiful, so no light penetrates to illuminate the way. But fear not, for I am the way and the light, and I tell you that as one ascends the tree, the leaves that block one from the light are fewer, so it is possible to see all more clearly. Those who seek to ascend must free themselves of the world. If you do not free yourself from the world, you will die in the darkness that is the root of the tree. But if you free yourself, you will rise and reach the light that is the eternal life of the Spirit. And as he said these things, I felt my soul ascend and saw the first great bough that bears the fruit of love and compassion, the foundation of all things. And I knew that before, I, before you can eat of this fruit and gain its nourishment, you must be free of all judgment and wrath. When you have freed yourself of these burdens, you may then eat of the fruit and so gain the love and compassion that will allow you to pass the first of seven guardians. And I heard the voice of Yeshua, and I heard the voice of the Lord, and I heard the voice of the Lord of wrath calling to me. But I denied the voice of the Lord of wrath, and he had no part in me. So I saw my soul ascend again, 
And he showed me the second great bough, weighed down with the fruit of wisdom and understanding. And I saw that before you can taste of its bounty, you must be free of all ignorance and intolerance. Only then can you eat of the fruit and so pass upward, unhindered, through the second of the seven gates. And I heard the voice of ignorance call to me, but I knew him not. And so my soul did not did thus unchallenged. Then my master showed me the third great bough, which bears the fruit of honor and humility. Only when free of all duplicity and arrogance may you partake of its nourishment. And arrogance called to me, saying, You are not worthy, go back. But my soul was deaf to him, and so moved onward and upward into increasing light. And then there came the fourth bough, blossoming with the fruit of strength and courage. And I heard him tell me that to eat of this fruit, you must have freed yourself from the weakness of the flesh and confronted and conquered the illusions of your fears. And the master of the world stood before me and claimed me as his own, but I denied him and he had no part of me. Only then my master told me, when you have rejected the deceiver, can you pass through the hardest gate of all to attain the fifth bow and the fruit of clarity and truth. Only then will you know the clarity and truth of your soul and knowing yourself for the first time, understand that you are a child of the living spirit. And as my soul moved upward, I realized that I could no longer hear the voice of the world as all had become a silence. Then, in the light above, I saw the sixth bough, the one that bore the fruit of power and healing. My master told me that when you truly have eaten of the fruit of clarity and truth of yourself, then you can partake of the fruit of power and healing, the power to heal your own soul and thereby make it ready to ascend to the seventh bough, where it will be filled by the fruits of light and goodness." And I saw my soul, now free of all darkness, ascend again to be filled with the light and goodness that is the Spirit. And I was filled with a fierce joy as my soul turned to fire and flew upwards in the flames from whence my master showed me the eighth and final bow, upon which burned the fruit of divine grace and beauty of the Spirit. And then I felt my soul and all that I could see dissolve and vanish in a brilliant light and a likeness unto the sun. And in the light I beheld a woman of extraordinary beauty, clothed in garments of brilliant white. The figure extended its arms and I felt my soul drawn into its embrace. And in that moment I was free from the world and I realized that the fetter of forgiveness was temporary. From now on I shall, res- I shall rest through the course of time of the age in silence. And then, as if from a great distance, I heard the voice of my master tell me, Miriam, who I have called the Magdala, Now you have seen the all and have known the truth of yourself, the truth that is I am. Now you have become the completion of completions, and thus the vision ended. This is what my master has told me and shown me, and only from the truth I tell you that all I have revealed to you is true. When the Magdala had told of all that Yeshua had said and done, she fell silent since it was in that silence that Yeshua had spoken with her and revealed these truths. Many of the disciples did not understand what she had said and grumbled against her amongst themselves. Andreas therefore answered and said to the brethren, Say what you wish, 
to say about what she has said, I at least do not believe that the rabbi said this, for these teachings are certainly strange and complicated ideas. Simon answered and spoke concerning these same things. He questioned them about Yeshua and said, did he really speak to her privately with this woman and not openly to us? Are we to turn about and all listen to her? Did he prefer her to us? Then the Magdala wept and said to Simon, My brother Simon, what do you think? Do you think that I have thought this up myself in my heart or that I am lying about Yeshua? Only from the truth, again, I tell you what I have said is the truth. And Levi answered and said to Simon, Simon, you have always been hot-tempered. Now I see you contending against this woman like the adversaries. But if the rabbi made her worthy, who are you indeed to reject her? Surely as his companion, Yeshua knew her better than all others. That is why he loved her more than all others. Rather, let us be ashamed and do as she says. Let us put on perfect humanity and acquire it as she has done and separate as she has commanded us and preach the testimony of the Son of Humanity, not lying down any other rule or other law beyond that which he gave us. And when they heard this, they were divided amongst themselves and argued amongst themselves. And therefore they began to leave separately and go forth to proclaim and to teach and to preach what they understood of the words of the rabbi. These are the words and deeds of Yeshua, the Nazarene, the son of humanity. There are also many other things which Yeshua did, which if they would all been recorded, then even the world itself would not have room for the books that would be written. I have testified and recorded all that I have seen and heard in the light and truth of his love and the grace and power of his words. Only from the truth I tell you, those amongst you who understand and believe his words will not know death. I am Miriam, called the Magdala, the beloved companion. So all of that is a quote. So quote, end quote. <laughs> um, that is from page... From this, from the, that's a reading from the Gospel of the Beloved Companion um, from page 76 to 82. So this reveals a vision. Um, when I first read it, uh, the mystic in me was stunned. Um, I had never heard anything like it. Uh, I never had anything quite... Um, experienced anything when I was reading it. Um, I resonated with it immediately with some that I, things that I know about the teachings of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, as well as things that I know about the, the teachings of the connection with the Kabbalistic, Kabbalistic Tree of Life and the chakra system. But I resonated with it on a very deep heart level. Um, and I believe that there's uh, something that uh, when it connects on the heart level for us, regardless of uh, the word for word in it, the spirit of it, the vibration of it, um, the realization of it uh, is what vibrated with me most profoundly on the heart level. Uh, and so I uh, went into meditation and um, one of the things that came to me in the meditation was that this vision um, that this gospel explains being given to Mary Magdalene is another reason why she knew all, why she knew things that the others did not because she was given this experience 
experience that none of the others were given. Um, and like I said, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the one that was found in the 1800s, uh, it, was, um, it, it alludes to this vision as well. It, it alludes to parts of it, and, and it's just not all there. The, like I said, the aging and the wear and the, the tear and the weathering and everything, um, there's just a lot missing uh, from that text, whereas this is um, very detailed and very complete uh, writings that are, that are here and present that gives it to us in this vivid detail. Uh, so in my meditations uh, with it, with this vision uh, Mary Magdalene received at the um, time of the resurrection, I was guided to turn this into a journey, actually. Um, I lead what I call um, soul journeys, and those soul journeys are not just outward journeys. Um, they're inward journeys. Uh, some of them uh, are inward and outward, meaning I'm leading people on a pilgrimage and we're doing inner work. But um, the, the soul journeys that I lead that are inward journeys, um, those are they're like guided meditations. Um, and I believe that you can meditate. Uh, you can just get this, um, this text and uh, you can meditate upon that if, if you feel like you want to have more revealed to you. Um, and if you want to open to even more of the possibilities uh, of who Mary Magdalene was and uh, the possi- all of the possibilities of, of what she may have been and uh, definitely the possibilities of um, her being this deep mystic that had uh, profound mystical experiences. This must have been some majorly profound uh, mystical experience uh, from just even the description of it. And then the guidance that I got was that I could turn this into a journey, an inner journey that I could lead people on. And I've um, done, done it several times already. Um, so I, 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 with the guidance, with my intuition, with the, the guidance that I was receiving, um, sat down and, and wrote a guided journey uh, that I call the Magdalene Vision Journey uh, that I facilitate in person um, when, I, when I go on tours. This is right now, it's something maybe in the future I'll feel differently about it, but right now it's something that I feel like I need to um, facilitate when I'm in person with somebody. Um, and it's based on this. Uh, it's, it's, it's guiding people through uh, the, the eight bowels, so to speak, in order to try to have our own personal experience of that vision is what uh, the, the, the message and the insight uh, was that came to me. So, um, and hopefully maybe someday I'll actually get around to recording it, but right now just intuitively the way that I feel like facilitating it for people is more of an in-person experience. But in the meantime, um, if this moves you, if this inspires you, if this touches you as something that you want to work with more, um, you can just get the text. And again, like I said, I believe that I ordered this on Amazon first as a Kindle. <laughs> you know, so I got it through Kindle, and then I ordered the hard copy of the book. Um, just get the text and meditate upon the text. You know, do your own private meditation upon it. Um, and then if you have the ability to connect with me on my tours or uh, if you're ever on the Big Island of Hawaii, uh, you know, please look me up. I do facilitate this um, Magdalene Vision journey uh, in person 
with people who um, even sometimes come here and uh, I spend day journeys, I, I spend uh, doing soul journeys like again inward and outward ones with people for a day or two days or for longer when uh, here on the big island of Hawaii where I live and reside. Um, my tours right now are pretty much in the uh, east coast area, the mid-Atlantic region, um, Virginia, Washington DC, Maryland are where my tours have been pretty much located out of, out of at least for now, although I see that expanding in the future or pilgrimage, um, which is uh, why I said I was going to basically transition uh, from part one to part two uh, after reading this. Uh, so just to summarize, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the role of Mary Magdalene is so much bigger than all of us can understand. Um, and again, I believe that some of her story is even still being written, the role that she's playing in helping us to heal a sacred wound that um, has happened and occur within us, um, a sacred wound that uh, is very deep and very profound uh, that is uh, due to the suppression, oppression, and repression of the feminine, and especially the suppression, oppression, and repression of the sacred feminine. Um, Mary Magdalene is playing a role, an important role to this day in helping to um, heal that sacred wound. And I explore that more fully um, during my um, Healing the Sacred Wound presentations as well as in my um, my, my Magdalene Circle presentations and, and pilgrimages as well. Uh, but it, the sacred wound exists in you. Margaret Starbird said that there's... Um, there's a wound inside of all of us that doesn't heal as a result of um, the suppression of the sacred feminine. But the sacred wound, I believe the quote is, the sacred wound that does not heal is the sacred wound of the loss of the divine feminine. Um, and that manifests in a lot of different ways in our society. It manifests in a lot of different ways in our culture. It manifests in a lot of different ways in our personal lives. Um, and so that can be confusing sometimes. We don't even think, well, I don't have a sacred wound. What was this woman talking about. I don't have a sacred wound. But I believe that we have it collectively. Um, and because we all have it collectively, we all have it. Um, the different degrees personally are there. Um, and Mary Magdalene is playing a role in that, uh, as well as playing a role in helping to um, have us each um, come more and more fully awake. Um, and so uh, hopefully you've gotten something from the class today that is going to inspire you in your personal relationship with Mary Magdalene and um, having her be um, an intercessor for you, a, a guide, a teacher for you, and helping bring you closer in your personal relationship with the divine as she has done me. And that said, I'm going to segue now into part two um, of the presentation today and talk a little bit more about my pilgrimage that's coming up. And um, I'm not sure if Philip has gotten on the call yet. Um, Philip, are you there? Okay. All right. Yeah. You are there. Okay. Good. Um, so, Philip, this is the first time you've had a chance that I've even heard your voice so far, and I've just been talking and talking and talking. So I would like to give you the opportunity to say something, and then, then we can start uh, talking about it, if you'd like, talking about the okay. pilgrimage. Um, well, hello to everybody. Um, I didn't get to hear everything that Anna said, but I've heard her speak many times on Mary Magdalene, and we're both um, very interested in and not only the 
in the subject and the subject matter. And um, today is, as she said, a very special day. It's the Peace Day of Mary Magdalene, July 22nd, which is also uh, a special day for us. And um, I don't think I'll say anything else until you want okay. me to speak a little bit about Carcassonne. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm, so, I'm glad you yeah. made it on. I'm glad you made it on the call. Yeah. Okay. So um, what, what I am going to be doing is facilitating the Magdalene journey, vision journey during um, pilgrimage that we are leading in southern France this fall, uh, September 18th through the 25th of 2014 are the dates. And the pilgrimage is called the Magdalene, the Grail, and You. Um, and this is uh, our Mystical France South retreat. Uh, we have three retreats, actually, that we're facilitating this year in France one in the south, one in the north, and an extended weekend in Paris. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today um, is pertaining to the Magdalene Vision Journey, and um, it's the Mystical France South Retreat, the Magdalene, the Grail, and You, it's called. And again, its dates are September 18th through 25th. And um, I'll be leading the Magdalene Vision Journey, not the first day, not the second day. What we're going to be doing is kind of a day-to-day um, going to, sacred sites and uh, connecting with places associated with Mary Magdalene and steeped in legends of the Holy Grail. Um, But I will be leading the full-fledged Magdalene vision-guided inner journey um, during this pilgrimage. And if I feel called to do it more than once, then I will do so um, more than once as well, as well as an entire pilgrimage program that helps us in healing the sacred wound within us. Um, and that helps us to deepen our personal relationship with the divine um, in whatever way that we're, we're, we're called to do that, and especially with the help and assistance of, of Mary Magdalene. So what I thought I would do, the, the itinerary is up on our website for those of you who are just hearing about us and hearing about this trip. Um, we are uh, still taking registrations. Uh, our regular registration uh, deadline is coming up. It's going to be on August the 1st is our regular registration deadline, and then we'll be taking late registrations all the way up until August the 10th. Um, So if you're interested in joining us, there's still time to join us. But I thought I would just read through the day-to-day of what we're going to be doing, Um, even though it's up on the website. It's always interesting, I think, to hear just from us, even the experiences that we've had at some of these places. Um, The the, the, the pilgrimage begins with um, flying into um, a, a town in southern France called Toulouse, um, and then from there, Barinka Travel and Tours will be our tour operator that will be picking us up and um, taking us to all of the wonderful places that we'll be going. They're, they're uh, very professional tour operators. Uh, and um, we'll be transported from the airport down into the southern Languedoc region um, to a place uh, that is called Maison, La Maison Templare, or the House of the Templar. I think of it very much like a small retreat center. Um, House of the Templar, it's called. The, the, the symbol on the front of the building is a Templar's cross. It has a beautiful um, meditation room that has um, different altars. Uh, there's a reclining Buddha. There's uh, you know different altars to basically kind of different traditions that are represented there. Um, but the 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 
main uh, connection is a Templar uh, connection to this place. And the people there are super friendly, um, and we just had a wonderful time there back in 2012 when we stayed there with the group before. But the location of it uh, is in the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains. And so we're out in the country. Uh, We're going to be staying in um, very sacred um, grounds, the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains, uh, the the powerful energy, the sacred energy there uh, is very special and unique in and of itself um, just because of the beauty of the Pyrenees. Pyrenees Mountains, as well as the, the the earth energies of the Pyrenees Mountains. So then on uh, on day two of the pilgrimage, uh, we're going to start first thing with um, usually some kind of group work in the morning. And again, this is all um, non-sectarian, uh, non-denominational work that we do. We lead guided prayers, uh, guided meditations. We give pilgrimage teachings. Um, I'll, I'll do some types of restorative yoga on the days in which it feels right and appropriate to do that. Again, we have this wonderful room, which is like a meeting room, meditation hall to do that. And we kind of base what we're going to be sharing with people, depending upon spirit like we try to really go with the flow of how things are um, you know how the spirit of the day and how the energies of the day is moving and just what's calling to us what seems right what feels appropriate and of course we let everybody follow their own heart about if if it doesn't feel right or appropriate to participate um, with us in the pilgrimage part that day or that morning or if they you know feel you know like they want to just you know stay at the hotel or stay at the retreat center before it rather than going you know, out and, and, and walking during the day, then they're welcome to do that too. So there's a lot of flexibility that you have. But after our morning programs, we're going to try and do a morning program every morning. We, we actually pared down. We added more days than we had back in 2012, and we, we pared down the, where, where the number of places we were going and doing on each day in order to try to be able to facilitate a, a deeper experience and moving at a more uh, relaxed pace. Um, and it is very much planned to be at a re- very relaxed pace. Uh, but there's going to be hiking and walking involved each day, and this first day will be to a very special hike uh, into a sacred mystical cave uh, in the Gorge de Galamos. And um, this is a sacred mountain in and of itself. It's actually, um, Galamos uh, means holy mountain or sacred mountain. Um, and its designation uh, as a miraculous place of healing um, has been known for quite a long time. It re- received even a formal designation of that in the year 1782. Um, and then in, in more modern times, it became a hermitage of St. Anthony. But the reason why it has uh, such a sacred history goes further back, further back beyond the hermitage of St. Anthony and beyond the formal declaration of it being a miraculous healing place. Um, uh, it, it is known, there's legends and stories, legends and stories of the Magdalene uh, when she was traveling through the southern regions of Provence and the Languedoc um, uh, teaching here. Uh, staying in this cave and being one of the Magdalene caves in which she taught out of. And there is a healing spring um, that's here as well, which would be the same healing spring. That's the interesting thing to me too, is like that would have been the same healing spring that most likely would have been present and in some of the stories about her being there and teaching there that I've heard. So 
that's where we're going the first day to really make that uh, connection um, to that sacred holy mountain and to this uh, sacred place where Magdalene, the Magdalene is legend to have taught and where we're going to be opening our minds and opening our hearts to just receive any information, any personal relationship, any personal, anything that, 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 that the Magdalene, that the Grail wants to reveal to us. Um, and reveal through us. And then day two, um, again, pilgrimage program during the day. And this, um, this particular retreat, the Southern Retreat, uh, this Magdalene pilgrimage, it includes all meals um, and all transportation from the airport and back. So it's really, once you get to Toulouse, it's all-inclusive. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all transportation. So um, we'll be transported back to the, 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 the hotel every night and, and out to these places that we're going to be going. So then on the next day, uh, which is day three, Saturday the 20th, um, after our morning pilgrimage program, we're going to go to a place that truly does look like Camelot. Um, when I first saw a picture, I was like realizing how this is what I've always imagined Camelot to look like. And I'm sure there have probably been some movies that have probably used uh, Carcassonne as um, an example for Camelot in their films. Not quite Quite sure if they have, but um, uh, it, it is spectacular. You can see some pictures uh, up on our website on mysticalfrance.com. The itinerary page is where you can read through this itinerary, and also on the um, the photo albums page, there's a photo album for each one of these areas that we went to in 2012. So there's some nice photo albums up there for you to look through. So, But Carcassonne, this is a famous crossroads for the Grail and Grail legends. And of course, um, you know, Mary Magdalene's connection to the Grail. I mean, some people believe that not only did, was she carrying uh, sacred texts or sacred, um, you know, chalice, but that, you know, again, there are even stories that she even could potentially could be the grail um, and that her and potentially a bloodline even could be the grail. So there's all kinds of grail legends. In fact, I was just reading in some of my research this weekend that the word grail itself has Occitanian origins and Occitan is the original language of the ancient language of this area. Um, and uh, the fact that the, the word originates from the Occitan, Occitan language and the grail legends actually originate from this region. I know we always think of Arthur, uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. I know I always did uh, when we think of Grail legends, but they originated uh, from this region, even the tales of Arthur. And Philip knows a little bit more about that. But Philip, can you tell us a little bit more about Carcassonne? Because I know you've been doing some more research about it. I know right now it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but it's very, very old. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to add a little bit more before I talk about Carcassonne okay, to go the ahead. Uh, Occitania. Um, just to set the context, the reason that we're going to southern France, there's a lot of reasons, but one is because of um, what's happened there uh, in the past and what's happening now. Occitania, that part of France, was not France until the 13th century. It was a whole different place, and it was a place that had connections to northern Spain and to the whole Mediterranean region, even in terms of religion. That whole Mediterranean region was really a, a region that was strongly connected to the divine feminine uh, a long, long, long time ago. 
And uh, Occitania um, was a place, as Anna was saying, it was the land that Mary Magdalene walked, it's the land of the Grail, it's the land of the Troubadours, the land of the Cathars, very, very special place. It's a place where, um, you know, how do you, how do you say it? When, where love broke out, you might say. Periodically in history, there's a place where the spirit and, and you know, love breaking forth in spirit out of the boundaries of uh, when religion becomes something that's stifling and not something that's, uh, that, that helps us. So that a lot of things took place there. And Carcassonne, of course, was right in the middle of it. It's also an incredibly beautiful region. I mean, we were, our breath was taken away. We had no idea uh, it would be that beautiful, just something that added uh, to, to what we were expecting. So Carcassonne um, is the largest medieval town in Europe with its walls still intact. It's, uh, some people say it's one of the few places in the world that, that uh, deserves the epithet breathtaking. It literally takes your breath. And the reason it's important, first of all, it was a very important place, um, gosh, even back in... Uh, B.C. times, before the Romans came, there were the, it's a Celtic name, actually, the heart of it is a Celtic name. It's been occupied for 10,000 years or more. And um, the Romans came in the early, uh, I think, 100 B.C. or so, and established themselves there, and the Visigoths came, and so many people came. But um, the way it is now, it's the way it was in the, in the Middle Ages, in the medieval period, in the 11th and 12th century. It was um, actually reached its peak. Its, its glory days were in the 12th century, uh, 11th and 12th century. It was um, somehow came into the hands of this very noble family called the Trincavals. And that same period that we're talking about when this part of, uh, which pre-France, uh, more of Gaul, when it was, uh, before it became part of the, the state of France, it was, uh, as I said, flowering. There were Kabbalists there. There were influences from the Sufi tradition and the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition and just a flowering of culture. Matter of fact, what was happening in that area, in that time period of um, southern France, that part of southern France and northern Spain, literally literally led to what became known as the Renaissance, literally. That's where it really began to flower, and it burst out through culture, multiculturalism, openness to religion and spirituality and sharing and uh, women's equality and all sorts of things that were really unheard of at that time. Um, and because today is the feast day of Mary Magdalene, I, I have to point out that exactly 805 years ago in a town um, north of, of Carcassonne, there was the beginning of the um, crusade against the people of that region. Um, and a lot of people were, were killed in the town of Beziers in the Church of Mary Magdalene on Mary Magdalene's feast day. So I just want to say a word in their honor. And uh, Carcassonne, later on, the crusade came there. Fortunately, there was no killing there. Uh, the people had to leave that were living there, and, and that really ended the, the great flowering of Carcassonne. 
the beauty of places like Carcassonne, and especially because there's still there's still uh, ramparts there from the Roman times, from you know 2,000 years ago. Most of it is is medieval, but you can walk through those cobblestone streets. There's a beautiful cathedral there. There's a actually a Cathar castle. I don't think uh, Anna even knows that this um, Chateau Comtal is considered a, a Cathar castle. Yeah, I knew the that. Walls of the city. Yeah. Well, so that's, it's where we, very, that's where we went. Um, that's where we went to do the meditation that I was guided to do. Um, yeah. one, one of the mystical experiences that I had was I received a auditory message that said, "Don't forget Chateau Comtal," and right, um, right, right. we weren't going to go to Chateau Comtal. We were going to go to Carcassonne originally, but we weren't going to go to Chateau Comtal uh, until I got that message. And then we went in and we did a, a specific meditation and um, inside Chateau. Come tall where these two trees uh, connect, and there's a platform that connects the two trees in the courtyard there. And then I got another message, which I was quite amazed by, because um, out of all the mystical experiences I've ever had and receiving messages from myself and other people, I can't say I've ever gotten one quite like it, because I was like, really, you're going to give me a grail riddle? I was given a grail riddle, which still to this day I'm working with trying to gain further insight from, because what I learned about these things long ago is these messages, we have their, our immediate interpretation of them, but then if we continue to work with them over time, they'll mean more. And so it was at Chateau Comtal when we were doing that meditation, Philip, that I got the, the grail riddle of um, yeah, no, forever, forever you will journey of this there is no doubt. The grail will lead you inward, upward, and out. That was, right. the, that was the message. Forever you will journey, of this there is no doubt, the grail will lead you inward, upward, and out. So that was uh, at Chateau Comtal during that meditation um, that I received that, and I've been continuing to. I worked with it throughout the journey, and I'm continuing to work with it, and I'm actually going to work with it throughout this journey as well. Oh, and the yeah. other message that I received there was once a grail castle, always a grail castle. Mm-hmm. I received a message that, that the grail had been there, and, um, you know, again, whatever the grail is, we, we can't even for- formally say, but I had received a message when we were at Chateau Comtal that the grail had been there, and I got the message of um, once a grail castle, always a grail castle, and that means that the vibration remains, that, the, that whatever the grail comes into contact with, it's been vibrationally altered permanently, and that that vibration remains um, always wherever the grail has been right and then that's exactly what I was going to mention next is that the amazing thing about going to places that are so ancient and yet still standing and functioning this is a functioning city there are houses there there's there's this incredible uh, cathedral there when you walk through this town you feel the medieval presence you 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 know the vibration is still there, and so the things that we're looking to connect with, the thing about this Southern France tour that I find so amazing and inspiring is because, again, what was happening there, if you know a little bit of the history of, of Europe and in the high Middle Ages, you know, they're really, that whole phenomenon of what's called courtly love and the divine lady and the troubadours, there was really an, an outpouring and as Anna said, the Arturian legends, they were all happening there in the 12th century in France. They were written There's there, weren't incredible. they? Incredible, yeah. yeah. And and I don't know if I am to mention it, but the, uh, the Templars, the Knights Templars, actually were 
uh, considering locating what they call the New Jerusalem in southern France for no, a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of connections down there in that whole southern French region. And, when, again, when you walk through the, uh, the city of Carcassonne, uh, not only is it breathtaking to, you know, to, to any person, but when you walk through it with the intention of reconnecting to that, that theme and that inspiration. And, and I really, truly believe that, that what could happen in our times and into the future in the next generation or so, an, an, an open-mindedness and an, uh, ecumenicism and, and instead of fighting each other till every religion's killed every other religion or whatever, you know, to, to really try to break down walls and, and, and embrace people as brothers and sisters and, and let people live and worship the way they want to. The same type of thing was happening down there. Um, it was not successful in terms of physically manifesting, but its spirit is continuing to have repercussions, and I believe in the day in which we live, including definitely the divine feminine being being one of them, without a doubt. So in that city, well, the Cathars are known as keepers of the Grail, and um, yeah. they were all throughout this region during this time period. You know, and we're going to talk about that a lot more in the next teleconference. I've already mentioned it a few times that we're going to okay. talk more about them, but that really does tie into what what what, what we were what I was saying earlier. So yeah. thanks for Good. sharing all of that. I think for the sake of time, I'm going to go on if that's okay. Um, yeah, unless sure. there's something really other really important that you need to no, do. No, that was the main point. Yeah. Well, um, during the time Mary Magdalene would have lived in southern France, this region would have been called Gaul. Um, it wasn't France at the time. Um, it became France much later, actually. It became uh, France after the Albigensian Crusade. Um, so it was Gaul, and then it was known by other names uh, throughout, throughout time, and then it became um, under the, 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 the rule of France. And then, so now it's known as uh, an area in southern France called the Languedoc region, uh, which is where these places are located at. So there's another Grail castle that we go to. There's several Grail castles, actually, um, that we go to on this retreat, on this pilgrimage. Um, and the next one, the next day, um, is uh, actually um, called Puy-Laurens. And uh, Chateau de Puy-Laurens is its more full name, official name. Um, and it w- is very special, um, so peaceful. Uh, the energy here. Uh, is just very, very peaceful and serene. Um, one of the things I was struck by, I, I, I got the message again when I was there, once a grill castle, always a grill castle, and felt that it was holding that, that vibration for sure. I was able to feel that energy. Um, but one of the things that um, I was uh, experiencing when I was there is I was struck by how much quartz crystal was um, running through the rocks, like veins of quartz crystal running through the rocks and um, on the surface of the top of the mountain and I was telling uh, people that were with us on that journey that in order for there to be that much coarse crystal running through the veins of the of this rock of these rocks um, on the surface and top it means there must be a lot in the core uh, 
so I, I, I personally believe this mountain to be a crystalline mountain uh, where this uh, Cathar Castle of Puilarans, um, which uh, is a sacred site for the Grail and for the Cathars, uh, was. And so that, that's just a, a very wonderful day that we'll be going to there. And then um, the next day is the day of the fall equinox, actually on Monday, September the 22nd. Uh, and we will spend the fall equinox um, going to two places that are real close to each other. Uh, the Seat of Isis, which is in rennes Bon, the little town next to Rennes-le-Chateau. Um, there's a, off of the forest, uh, an ancient place that's so ancient that um, according to our guide, um, our guide from Barinka, she said that the, nobody even knows how old it actually even really is. Um, but it is uh, like an oracle place, um, and it's a, a sacred healing spring and well that is also present there, uh, originally associated with the ancient Celts, um, but maybe even older, uh, the ancient goddess traditions, uh, and then this is one of the reasons why it's thought to have been uh, t- titled, you know, the seat of Isis because of the, the connection to the ancient goddess traditions um, that it that it that it had. One of my favorite places, actually, I don't have it pictured uh, here on the itinerary page. There are some pictures in the photo gallery page uh, of it. It's just like a very big stone with a seat cut into it that sits next to the sacred well or the sacred spring that. It's bubbling up. Well, it doesn't really bubble up out of the ground, but it just kind of streams or flows uh, gently uh, out of the ground. And um, I had uh, that's where I received the message. Don't forget to don't forget Chateau Comtal. I also had an emotional healing, emotional cleansing uh, that took place. I'm just sharing what, for me personally. Everybody had kind of their own experiences at these places that we went to, and um, their own inner journey as well as the outer journey. We were all sharing they had their own inner journey uh, that everybody was kind of having their own personal experiences um, and um, then from the seat of Isis we're going to go to uh, one of the most well-known churches uh, associated with Mary Magdalene especially due to uh, certain uh, writers like uh, Dan Brown I believe uh, has mentioned Renle Chateau and um, Mar- uh, Kathleen McGowan definitely in her books has, has written about Renle Chateau uh, the, the, the church of Mary Magdalene and the tower of Magdala uh, which are at Renle Chateau are going to be our two main focuses when we're there um, but the the Tower of Mary Magdala looks out over um, a valley a very sacred valley uh, that Renlebon uh, and Renle Chateau connect with it's called the Valley of God and um, this is just a very special uh, sacred place connected with Mary Magdalene connected with the Grail Mysteries uh, we'll get into all of it much much more uh, you know depth and detail of just some of the intrigue and um, you know, there's more modern-day intrigue that's been there through a, a priest that was there that built uh, the, t- the Tower of Magdala and some of the things that remain there to this day. And then there's older intrigue and mystery that's associated with it, like the fact that the Merovingians actually were there for uh, quite some time and the fact that this is on uh, an ancient ley line that is called the Rose Line. Um, so we're going to be on the Rose Line um, this this place, this church connected with Mary Magdalene, Rennes le Chateau, and visiting the seat of Isis on the actual day of the fall equinox. Then the next day, um, we're going to go to another Grail castle, another very, very sacred site to the Cathars. And again, the Cathars were... Um, 
following the, 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 the teachings of the way of love and um, believed to have been guardians of the grail and following teachings of Mary Magdalene. And um, this grail castle is called Mount Segura, which means safe mountain. And it'll be our first trip there. We didn't get a chance to go there back in 2012. I'm very much looking forward to it. It has a lot of ancient history that has beautiful, beautiful magical intrigue, place of high ceremony, um, and it has a lot of sad history um, as well because of being considered to be the last stronghold of the Cathars during the Albigensian Crusade. So we'll be exploring both its um, uh, histories, uh, both, both aspects of its histories and its connection to the Holy Grail, the, the, the Divine Feminine, the Magdalene. Okay, um, and then the last place, let's see, yeah, this is the last place before Departure Day. So the last place before Departure Day that we're going to go to, also a place we didn't get a chance to visit back in 2012 that I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, we'll be going, we will be going to see the Black Madonna of Lemu, um, and that's a famous Black Madonna uh, that is in the town of Alet-Leban. Uh, no, it's in Lemu. And then we will journey to um, Alet-Leban. And we'll, we'll try to see as many Black Madonnas as we can, but we, if it, we will definitely see at least this one. Um, but we'll try to see, I hear that there's a black Madonna in the town there of Montsegur, that we'll try to see that black Madonna, and we'll try to see um, any black Madonnas that we can while we're making the journey. We'll definitely see the black Madonna of Lemu. Um, and um, hopefully, let's see, then after that we'll be going to Let Leban, and um, this is a, a re- ru- ruins of an abbey uh, that uh, had remnants of the true cross. It, had a, it was a reliquary, actually, for um, a piece of the true cross, and pilgrims would travel from near and far, and there are two towers there, the Tower of Archangel Michael and the Tower of Our Lady. And again, Our Lady, in this instance, uh, could literally be translated to one or the other or both. Um, it could be translated to Mother Mary, could be translated Mary Magdalene or both and the reason why I chose this place is because it has just been calling to me and I don't even know why I don't know if it's the connection to Archangel Michael and Mary Magdalene combined because um, there, there are some places that connect that in the Languedoc region and I've been really intrigued more and more these days of, of, of what their connection is um, Archangel Michael and Mary Magdalene um, are very connected to each other but you don't see those connections drawn and and made and even spoken about very often. Um, And the main connection that they have, of course, Archangel Michael is considered to be um, teaching Mary Magdalene, protecting her, assisting her, even speaking to her when she spent the last years of her life in the cave of St. Baum, um, which is a place that we won't be going to on this particular pilgrimage, but hopefully on future pilgrimages we'll be able to go to in Provence. Um, but Archangel Michael, in addition to that, they have another major thing that they have in common, and that is that Archangel Michael and Mary Magdalene are both guardians of the grail. They've both been considered historically, no matter what else you say about them, guardians of the grail. Um, and so this is a place, um, I, I, I don't know all the things about it, 
it. I don't even know a lot more to tell you about it until we actually go there. All I can say is that, is, is that I've been mystically drawn to it. There are these two towers, the Tower of Archangel Michael and the Tower of Our Lady. There was uh, definitely a, a connection um, that, was, that was made there and that we will make there and we will explore there, uh, the connection between Mary Magdalene and Archangel Michael. And I do have some things that I'll share with the group uh, a little bit more deeply um, when, we're, when we're there. And then the healing waters, Aletlebon is known also for, in addition to this ruins for this abbey, um, is known for its healing waters where people would travel from far and wide to experience the healing waters um, of Aletlebon. So we're going to try to somehow experience those healing waters if it's warm enough and the weather might be good enough. We might even be able to get into those healing waters. If not, then we'll at least be able to uh, touch those healing waters and be able to um, you know, put, place our hand in it. Okay, um, and then the next day will be departure day, uh, and we will have a wonderful uh, trip back to the airport, which everybody will be uh, transported back to the airport. So that's the journey for the South. So I just want to say thanks, everybody, for hanging in there with us, and I want to end our call today uh, with a very short heart-centering meditation because I've said a lot and you've learned a lot, hopefully you've maybe even learned some things that you didn't know before, but I want you to just not just keep it all in your head. I really want you to take it to your heart. Um, so if everybody could just um, take a moment now to, if you have anything that you're holding, like if you've even taken notes, just put everything down except for the phone and just be able to have the phone and hear my voice and get yourself comfortable. I mean, just a very, very um, simple, easy, heart-centering meditation and a heart-connecting meditation to connect with Mary Magdalene. So if you could even like take your hand and place your hand on your heart, um, either like right over your heart or just in the middle of your chest, your heart chakra, and close your eyes and take a couple of long, slow, deep breaths. Really center and connect in with your heart with every breath that you're taking. Feel your hand rise and fall. And even this very simple exercise of placing your hand on your heart and quieting your mind and breathing in and out through your heart, that's a heart centering in and of itself. So then I want you to put your hands down to your sides and continue breathing deeply. And I want you to silently, in whatever way feels right to you, call out to Mary Magdalene and ask for her help and intercession and deepening your personal relationship with the divine. Ask for Mary Magdalene to teach you and guide you Through this wisdom shared here today and through any and all wisdom that you experience and learn and bring into your life. And ask Mary Magdalene to reveal in you whatever needs to be revealed for your highest good 
I ask Yeshua to reveal directly to you and through you all the truth that needs to be revealed for your highest good and for the highest good of all. I want you to just open yourself to receive, open your mind, open your heart, and receive an inpouring of light and love into your heart. Letting yourself receive an inpouring of healing and wholeness clarity and purity into your heart. And then offer thanks for all that you have received here today and for all of the blessings that you're receiving in each and every moment of your life. Offer thanks for this opportunity to commune with the divine. And be in gratitude for all that you are. For you are a child of the divine, you are a child of God, you are a child of the light. In sacred union with the divine. A beloved. Offering gratitude for all that you are. And then I want you to focus again on your breathing. Take another long, slow, deep breath. begin to slowly open your eyes, bringing yourself up out of the meditation, allowing yourself to shift and move however feels right to you. This is just a simple heart-centering meditation that we did, and again, you can do different versions of it on your own anytime, and then just a simple heart connection of placing your hand on your heart and breathing in and out of your heart center is an easy way to stay heart-centered and heart-connected anytime you need to. And that completes the class. So I'm going to end the recording, but un- also unmute everybody. And so if you, anybody would like to make a comment or ask a question, but let me end the recording first.